May 25th, 2023, subject line. He said it was a bad business idea, dot, dot, dot. Emailed out to his whole list, I think. Hey, folks, Alex here. Telling you, telling people you run a mouth taping business isn't all sunshine and rainbows. <laughs> is it any, is, it, does, did anyone think that that was sunshine and rainbows? <laughs> you know what they say. Running a mouth taping <laughs> yeah. business ain't all sunshine Everyone rainbows. always asks me, like, how awesome is this business? <laughs> I feel like I can rule the world. I know I could be what I want to. All right, what's up, everybody? Back to the greatest podcast of all time, My First Million, where we talk about business ideas. We talk about businesses that are under the radar, crushing it that you haven't heard of. And hopefully, when you listen to this podcast, you get a little inspiration. You get a little wind in your sails so that you go out and kick a little more ass today. Sam, I have an ass-kicking story for you. You want to hear it? I love ass-kicking stories. In fact, this is two-way. It's, it's stories of other people who are kicking ass, and it's a story of me getting my ass kicked as an investor. So here's Great. two investments that I passed on for two totally different reasons, and I'm going to tell you the reason why I missed it and the really cool story of what, what these companies did. All right, it's time for a little ad break. I got to tell you about HubSpot's HubSpot for Startups program. So if you're a startup and you're trying to grow, this thing is pretty great. You get a huge discount, 30 to 90% off on a tool that your whole sales and marketing team can use to help you scale as you grow. We use this in our companies. I think you should too. They have tons of resources. They got great customer support, tons of integration with popular apps that you use. You got to check it out. So it's the HubSpot for Startups program. You can check it out at HubSpot.com slash startups. All right, so this first one, three year, two or three years ago, two years ago, I think it was, and it's this guy, David, and he's pitching me a startup called Jenny, and it was at peak AI time. So this is 2021, um, you know, GPT-3 was out, everybody was excited about AI, and this guy had yet another AI startup idea, and I didn't really know what to make of it. It was small. It was only doing 2000 a month in revenue. So he's like, hey, we've got great traction, I'm at 2K MRR, and I'm like, that's cute, son. 2K MRR. Oh, you know, like the pool guys make a 2K MRR. Come on. We, we got to do better than that. But really nice guy. We get on a call and um, I don't remember what I said, but he told me afterwards, he was like, yeah, you were like one of the nicer people in terms of giving us feedback and telling us what to do. At the time, they had a pretty undifferentiated product. So what they were doing was, was a product called Jenny AI. And what Jenny was doing was it was a writing tool. So it was just like Jasper, which was like, you just say, hey, I need a blog post. It writes you a blog post. You need SEO content. You need blog content. You need email content. And it was just like writing blogs for you. And there was a bunch of startups doing this at the same time. Jasper was doing it and they were taking off. So it was like a kind of a hot space. But I was like, dude, I think you're late to that party. And he's like, no, 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 we're going to make it. And I like the guy. He told me that at age 16, he had basically he had started being an entrepreneur at age 16, trying to build companies, like trying to build a t-shirt company, failed. But like, you know, that's a rite of passage is start your first terrible idea. He had gotten that out of the way. And now he was onto this, which was cool. And he's like, yeah, I saw, he's like, it's actually a funny story. He goes, we got on uh, GPT-2 when it was just like developer access mode only. And we told it to like, I don't know, tell us a joke or say something wise, but funny. And it's <laughs> GPT-2 goes, what's the darkest place in the world? And they go, what? And he goes, a butthole. And they're oh, like, what? My God. <laughs> this, thing is, this thing is crazy. What is this tech? And so they're like, we got to go all in on this. So they start trying to make ideas for this. And and how old are they when they start working on this? So they're about 24, I think, uh, at okay, the time doing this. Right? And he's like, I got no money. He's living in his mom's house. He's like, literally, I have to ask my mom, like, hey, can I get the credit card? I want to get Chipotle. And he's like, you know, she didn't make me feel bad, which I respect. Like, I know she probably felt bad because, like, 
you know, Asian parents, like all their kids, all their friends' kids are like at Stanford and getting a promotion. And he's like, he's still in the bedroom. He's, I don't know. Also, like 24 is the threshold where it's like cute from concern. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Endearing to concern. He was making that transition. And she's like, I don't know. He just keeps saying, thanks for hopping on the call. But nothing seems to happen after that. Like, you know, he's pitching people all day in his bedroom and it's not working. But he makes a pivot. And he makes a pivot that that made a lot of sense. He did what I call a niche down, a zoom in pivot. And so a zoom in pivot is when you basically say, I have this thing today that's kind of meh for everybody. But maybe for one set of people, it's awesome. And this is the same way that actually Twitch started. Twitch was you had Justin TV, which was broadcast anything. It was this grand vision. Broadcast anything. Broadcast your life. Broadcast your backyard. Broadcast this sports game. Broadcast this video game. And only 2% of it was people broadcasting video games. And Twitch was a zoom in. Justin TV was failing. And they said, what if we just did the video games thing? And it, it sounds counterintuitive. It's like, well, then we'll be too small. It's only just that little bit. It's only 2% of our current traffic. But it actually had the potential to be quite big once you specialize the product in that. So these guys did the same thing. They did it around college students who need help writing essays specifically, not like, oh, dude, it's like one minute before the deadline. Just give me a full essay. I just want to like hand it in to my teacher and make them trick them that it's AI. It's like, no, no, no. It's actually like a writing assistant. So you basically, you're writing your essay and you don't just say, give me an essay about the industrial revolution. You start writing your essay and then it kind of like, like an autocorrect, it'll kind of like fill in the rest of the sentence. So if you're writing, it'll kind of like, if you stop, it'll like suggest what the next couple sentences could be. It'll help you cite stuff as well. So they're- Cite sources, exactly. Like you need- Their example online is like, is really well, is really great. So it's the effect of the ketogenic diet on human longevity. And looks like he's talking about something. And it's like, hey, by the way, do you want to cite this paper that's already mentioned this or that? And it it generates the well-formatted citation at the end. Or it'll run a plagiarism check for you. It'll be like, hey, let's just make sure that this is not copying what's already out there because, you know, your teacher's not going to like that. So it has a couple of like specific tools and you could, it's like, a, it's not like chat GPT where you're, it's just a chat interface. Like you kind of click buttons and you select what, how you want this to help you. And then it helps you. Do you know how like uh, Microsoft used to have Clippy who would like catch you making errors? They just need like a little picture of Bill Ackman that says like, ah, 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 that's yeah. plagiarism. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> we're, exactly. We're going to well, have Billy. <laughs> he, he told me that like basically at the end of the essay, less than 30% has been written by AI. So 70% is written by the student and 30% ends up getting filled in by the AI. Okay, so he gets this idea. But even still, how do you know if this is going to be successful? So now he pitched me two years ago at 2,000 in MRR. It's currently doing 300,000 in MRR. So 3.6 million a year. Uh, in fact, last year, he had an offer to sell the company, I think, for $3 million bucks. And he thought about it. He's like, oh, my God, I could be a millionaire. I could have $3 million. I'm young. I'm in you know, my early 20s. And he turned it down. And now this wow. company is probably worth 10, 10 to $15 million, million bucks today. So in six, six to 12 months, he basically you know, tripled the value of the company. So that's, that's great. So I talked to him. And I was like, dude, David, what's, uh, what's the story here? What happened? He's like... Uh, well, you know, we, we talked to you, we did, we did a bunch of things. So here's, here's kind of the story of how they figured it out. So do you want to know the kind of like the startup survival part of it, or do you want to know the strategy of how they made it big? Well, the strategy, I mean, the startup survival mode of it, like he was just probably floundering, but he didn't have any expenses. So like he was kind of default dead, just not even in startup mode, but default dead, just his life. I mean, well, he like was, <laughs> but then, uh, actually Jason Calacanis's, uh, incubator launched, gave him a hundred K 
uh, just like over email, like here's 100K. And so then they moved to Malaysia to be like, cool, this will last forever here. And so he's like, just let's, how do we just make this 100K last as long as we need to survive? Because we don't know if there's ever going to be another investor. They, they did end up raising more money now. They raised like another 800K later, but how did they make this big? So I want to share a couple things. So first, he's like, you know, we do the obvious things. We, we post about it, whatever. It's not really going anywhere. Then three, there's three interesting inflections for this business. Inflection one is... He does the, the the stuff that doesn't scale. He goes and he fights for that first 100 customers with hand-to-hand combat. And the way he did it is a strategy that I'll – the overall strategy of what, what worked here is I'll call influence the influencers. So he starts joining Facebook groups. And he wrote a long Twitter post about this. You can check it out. So he joins Facebook groups. He's like, I joined a group of like, let's say, 10,000 people. And he's like, what you can't do is join the group and then immediately post about your shit. And then it just gets taken down or flagged as like – promotion, sales, get out of here, dude. So he's like, I basically did a strategy where I was like, I'm going to warm up these groups so that like, if I do ever want to post, how would it be like well-received? He would just work backwards from what situation would make this be well-received? He's like, well, it would be well-received if the moderators and admins liked me and they were rooting for me. And actually they liked my product. They already used my product and that I was a familiar face in the community. They had seen me around adding value and that even when I post, I was really posting actually just for feedback and not for like buy my shit. So he's like, let me work backwards from that. So he joins the group and he starts posting just like very helpful content. And in a Facebook group, the bar is pretty low, right? Because yeah, yeah, nobody's yeah. like professionally trying in a Facebook group. People are just very casual. Most people don't do anything and at all. This is like a like a Facebook group for researchers. Uh, it would be re- for like college students. It'd be for like grad students. Anything he had a hypothesis about. So he's like, oh, I think this would work really well for grad students. Got it. So he joins some school's grad student group, which has like 6,000 people or whatever. And then he would get in. And what he would do is he'd first start making helpful, helpful posts. So he's just very visible and very helpful. People start to see him as like a regular. He's a regular at the bar. Okay, then he hits up the admin. And the admin's like, oh, you're one of the regulars. Yeah, sure. What's up? He's like, hey, man, I wanted to get your feedback on something. Would, would you be down to do like a 15-minute call? I know you talked about this in a previous post. I think I actually have something that can help you with that. And then the guy would be like, all right, sure, I'll do it. So he gets on the call with him. He shows him the product. And then he's like, I'm, he's like, I'm not going to promote this until I see the eyes light up. He's like, basically, if they don't like it, then I'm dead on arrival. Not, if, this, if the core power users don't like it, the casual guys aren't going to like it. So he's like, I'm going to keep iterating on my product until those guys are like, yeah, this is actually awesome. And I see that they're using it after the call. Like they keep using it. So he does that. He he asked them questions. He he was like, I read the mom test. Like you guys said, these guys are fans of the pod. So we learned how to do these customer calls. Then I'm doing the calls and I'm, uh, I'm finding out their pain points. And then I try to build a product that solves them. And then I'm seeing, do they use it on their own organically afterwards? Once they did, he's like, I got them. He's like, so then I would let them use it for a couple of weeks. And then he's like, I would, um, oh, and by the way, he's also like, I'm going to circle back. So I would do the call. And then he's like, a week later, he's like, hey, I took all your feedback and I made the product better, which that's like a key part of of like winning users over is making them feel like they're heard and what that you actually acted on what they said. Um, Finally, he'd be like, hey, do you think I could post it in the group? Like, do you think other people would like this? And like, yeah, for sure. Actually, I'll post it for you. And they would go post it. So now you get the, the kind of like cosign from the group admin or moderator that everybody knows, the leader saying, hey, this is awesome. I've been using it. The founders in the group, if you have any questions, uh, check this out. So he start getting a bunch of tracks. So he got the first 100 customers through this like very manual process, which was really not as much about getting customers as it was about getting the product right 
by winning over the customers. This is very similar to you doing the first 100 calls with Hampton members, right? Like you showed me your calendar and I called it the zebra calendar. It's just stripes, just 20-minute calls all day, just like your whole calendar was striped. And well, I did this with Reddit it. too, by the way. I did that when, when the hustle first got popular is because I posted on Reddit and I did the same thing. I wasn't as eloquent as he was, but I basically just said 10% self-promotion, 90% ad value. So people start, you start getting a reputation. So do, did you see that there's a movie about the guy, what's his name? Some roaring kitty who like yeah, did yeah, the game yeah. stuff. Dumb okay, money. so roaring kitty, the real person is like a really good looking guy who would charismatic. Like he looks like, he kind of looks like he could be an actor. Like when you see him talk. And I remember watching that movie and I'm like, dude, the real, the, the real roaring kitty is cooler looking than this actor. Right. I'm looking at David Park do this video and, I, and I'm seeing how he dresses and I'm seeing like some of the home videos that he's taken of himself. I'm like, this guy looks like an actor playing him. Do you know <laughs> what I mean? This guy's got the it factor. Like I can't even hear him talk, but I can just tell by his body language, how he dresses. Like this guy's got charisma. Got like this the Gen Z cool. haircut. Yeah, this guy's yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this guy looks, he looks like the actor playing him. <laughs> yeah, he's like one of those people where if they wear like clothes that don't fit, it looks good. But if you wear clothes that don't fit, you look like a fucking idiot. He's one of those people who can actually wear clothes that don't fit. Now, let me tell you. Okay, so then here comes phase two, get lucky. And uh, get lucky is, you, you know, we've done that thing before about the four levels of luck. The first one is just dumb luck. Lightning strikes you. The second one, which is fortune favors the bold. He's taking a bunch of action and he puts himself in a position to get lucky. So there's, there's two lucky breaks that happen. The first uh, is this guy, Zane, who runs a uh, AI newsletter. I think it's called Superhuman, I think it is. Superpowered, Superhuman, something like that. He um, does this Twitter thread and it's called 10 Websites So Useful It Feels Almost Illegal to Use Them or something like that. Oh, that's the whole that's thing, so funny. That's right? so funny. Classic, like, you know, clickbaity yeah. thing. And this thread goes so viral, dude. Guess how many likes this thread has? I don't know, 10,000? 365,000. Dude, I could post a sex tape and not get 365,000. In fact, I probably wouldn't get any likes. But <laughs> yeah, you could actually could post a sex tape and not get 365,000 likes. What That's was the crazy. joke that you had? You're like, I can't believe one of your friends owns a porn site and, and it, it isn't popular. That's like the worst job ever. That's like you. You release a sex tape and no one wants it. <laughs> I was still talking about that later. Your friend who you said has a porn site that's not that popular. And I was like, wow. <laughs> the worst <laughs> case scenario. How many um, downloads did he get from, or uh, how many users did he get from that? Post? So he's like, dude, every every minute, he's like, I'd get ten customers. And he's like, it was just insane. And so he goes, he gets like this huge boost, like you know, whatever. I don't know exactly how much, but like ten x or more, you know, is the revenue. He's at he's at two thousand before that, and now he, so that the first thing I described is how he got to the first two thousand in MRR. Then he gets the viral Twitter thing, and now he's in the like tens of thousands of monthly recurring revenue. So what happens after that? Jennifer Lopez does a commercial. That's about AI with Virgin Air or something like that. And in the commercial, she's like, oh, I'm not Jennifer. This is Gen AI. Oh, and so Gen nice. AI gets a bunch of searches. He's the number one search for Jenny AI. And so he's like, I got a bunch of free traffic from that. That helped again. He's like, so I'm getting lucky. He's like, but I still don't know what to do to like really blow the top off this thing. And then they start posting TikToks. Now, this is what I want to ask you. Sam, you did a great job early on with The Hustle. I'm going to put you on the spot. This is going to be hard. You at The Hustle did some really cool ads. Uh, you you basically were like, instead of just saying, here's my newsletter, please read it. It's, it's very good, I promise. You were like, my boss thinks I'm so smart, but what he doesn't know is I just read the hustle every day, right? And it was yeah. like value-based, right? And it, it kind of had that that hook, which is what is the... What is the end happy out happy ending for this customer? It's not that your newsletter is great. It's that your boss thinks you're smart. Everyone thinks you're so smart. 
My boss thinks I'm smart. I'm not. My secret weapon is the hustle, which I get every morning. That was the ad. Right. And you stole that from somebody. And then now 100 people have tried to copy that. I was, I wouldn't say I stole, but you could say that. You could say that. I don't think I would say that. Uh, I would say I was heavily influenced by a random ad that I saw from the skim and I changed it. And now everyone else has since stole it. A jury of our peers would say that. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so this guy, now, now I want you to tell me um, if you had to do an ad, right? You're making a little a short video, a TikTok. And you need to promote Jenny AI. Just let's brainstorm real quick, right? Let's do this. Let's do it live, as Bill O'Reilly used to say. All right. Tell me what how, what you would think of. I know this is a very hard prompt, but if you come through, just imagine how smart everyone's going to think you are at this podcast. What would you do? How would you design this this TikTok ad? Well, okay. I actually think that I would steal that same premise, which is like my teachers think I'm brilliant. I'm not. I'm really just using Jenny AI. Um, video is harder. So all of my ads were text and a photo on Facebook. To do this on video, that's like what young people are great at, that I'm really bad at. What would you do for the video? I would do that same premise, but I don't know how. I would struggle to display that. Yeah, watch this. Um, by the way, if you're watching this, if you're on audio and you're like, oh my God, I really want to see this ad. This ad sounds awesome. This is the ad that drove all of their growth. I want growth and I want to learn how to be better at advertising. Maybe you should go to YouTube. You should watch this ad with us. Maybe you should go to YouTube and subscribe and then watch this ad with us. What do you think, Sam? Is that good advice? Well, so listen, earlier you're talking about Jenny AI and how they were doing okay and how they niched down and found their target market. That's basically this podcast. We took all of business. We took all of comedy. We niched it down to the very few people that actually want to joke about stupid stuff like us and dissect different businesses and ask how they all work. That's this YouTube channel. So whether you're listening on YouTube already or you're on like Spotify or whatever, go to the comment section because there's a lot of people making fun of us, but a lot of people actually adding value and like breaking down cool companies. Click subscribe. Help a brother out. So. That was our version of this ad. Let's see this one. This TikTok has 4 million views. So the ad is basically, it takes a form. Instead of saying, um, my boss thinks I'm so smart or my teacher thinks I'm so smart, a, di a different format, which is what I call the relatable struggle. And it starts, let's just break this ad down. So it says, it's a girl. It doesn't look like an ad. That's the first, first thing you need to know. It looks like Starbucks. If you want ads to work nowadays, don't make them look like ads. That's the, f the biggest thing. As soon as I see an ad, I'm insta swiping away. So this needs to be relatable. So it looks like a college girl at a Starbucks and it says, doing an essay last minute, my goal is to submit before 12 a.m. It's done two things, relatable problem and it's established some, some stakes. Will this person, or will they make it or won't they make it, right? All right, that's the thing. It's a, it's a door closing, mission impossible. You got to slide under the door. Here, I got to tell you the second thing. I've, my experience is like $15 million in ad spend. I'm going to say something right now that's going to make me sound horrible, but I'm just going to say the truth. Here's what I found with my numbers. Women that are, so women, get higher clicks amongst women, women gets higher clicks amongst men, and men are rather so so women that are like, just women do better amongst men and women for getting clicks. So we've always have always had a higher click through rate with women. Now, here's the thing about the woman, they have to look like you can approach them, like I can have a conversation with them, but they're aspirational. If they're too like, good looking or too like fancy looking, it doesn't work. It has to be an approachable young woman. And I have found that that gets the most clicks amongst all demographics. And they did that. They did that wonderfully here. Did I, I, I say that? Did I, I say that appropriately? The level of nervousness in your voice as you're trying to say this without getting canceled. You're like, you're a fine, approachable young woman. You're a strapping lad, young lad. Like, well, so we say? used to have at, it was like, it you was like, a, if you use like 1940s language, you're like, if you're a young lass who's, 
splendid and fine. Then, then you're, it's like, dude, you can't just avoid cancellation by using old language. I'm going to call it next door hot. So whether you're a next door guy or next door girl, next door hot always outperformed like beautiful hot, hot. or model or whatever. Yeah, runway hot. So that's frame one, relatable struggle. Okay, now two is, okay, and then by the way, it says current time 1020. So it's a, here's 1020, you got to submit this by, by midnight. Last minute research. And then it says, then it, this is the key one, 1050, mental breakdown. And she's crying basically. Uh, like, And so now you're like, all right, you kind of don't know. Is this going to be funny? Is this going to be like, it's obviously kind of like it's planned, but it still doesn't look like an ad for any product. We're 10 seconds in, no hint that this is an ad for product. Then it says coffee and TikTok break, relatable. Uh, it says back to it. And then it basically is like, shit gets serious and it's her like clipping up her hair again another relatable humorous like oh that's so me i get it i do that uh, i'm guilty of this right we're now 30 seconds in and there's been no mention of the product and so this does two things number one the tiktok algorithm loves that it's you're watching full length videos rather than swiping away because it's like oh this is some ad the second thing is you're kind of invested you have sunk cost you need to see the ending even, even once you realize and one of the top comments is it says, um, for a second, when you showed Jenny AI, I was like, I got bamboozled by an ad, all caps, because you didn't realize it was an ad until you're basically, what, uh, 35 seconds in. And then, even then, it doesn't, it's not some polished demo of the product. It's a phone recording a laptop of someone typing in Jenny AI into like their Google search. And then finally, it tells you what the product does for you, which is, It'll help you write two times faster. And the happy ending is she submits it on time. Okay. So four million. Dude, is, this how, is this how like my my doctor and lawyer and accountant are where they're just like at Starbucks at 1150 trying to plagiarize a paper that's due at midnight? <laughs> well, that's how <laughs> they were eight years ago. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> Dude, you know that. You went to college with people who are now doctors. You're like, that guy? I know that guy. I know the real, I know the yeah. real version of that guy, right? Like, <laughs> that guy only drinks Jägermeister. Like, this guy should not be a doctor. Uh, and so right now, these guys, so that ad was great. So David Park, you're amazing. So they're at, $350,000 a month. 300000 a month. So $3.6 million a year and uh, doing really well. So congrats to the Jenny guys. Uh, did great. By the way, he gets cancer then. And he says this in the in that starter story video. He goes, I'm, he's like, I felt like my dreams and Is nightmares were both coming true at the same time. What? What's that? And he got, that's a footnote to his story. He got cancer. He got cancer during that like last year or whatever. And then he had a surgery and he got out. And he's good now. And so it's a crazy story, dude. It's a, it's a really crazy story. So congrats. By the that. way, I don't think... I wouldn't say this is going to be a smart investment yet. So, or, oh, I, no. I don't think it's going to be a good investment, but I think it's going to be great for them. You make six to eight million bucks. That's fantastic. But below before 30, that's amazing. You're, you're set. I, I like, so if I was David, this is a company I would love to own. This is not a company that I would love to invest in, but it's going to make him very, very rich, I think, at a very young age. And it's going to make him like mildly famous amongst our little startup. Dude, community. this is a business I would love to sell. If I could sell this thing for anything above $18 million, you won't see me. The next, bye. See you later. I'm gone. <laughs> <laughs> They'll be like, wait, the paperwork's not even signed. I don't care. Bye. It's over. I'm out of here. I, I, AI moves too fast, dude. I'm not trying to be in the middle of the hurricane of AI and hope that I'm not made obsolete by, you know, one click chat GPT or some big company adding this. I think this is actually fairly protected. Like, I don't think it's so niche. I don't think too many people are going to go for it, but 
I just wouldn't want to mess with this. I also think that college student essay writing isn't like the biggest TAM either. So, you know, I would want to sell on the way up and get out and go do something else. Yeah. And also Sam Altman raised the equivalent of America's GDP, like $5 trillion for whatever he's like, whenever I see this, these numbers, I'm like, that just means nothing to me. I hope I'm dead by the time this becomes a reality. Because is there so any hard. Sam Altman story you wouldn't believe? No, I believe I would believe it all. If I told you the OpenAI headquarters is underwaters, would you be like, that's bullshit? Or would you just be like, where? I would believe anything <laughs> about it. Yeah, I'd be like, so like, should we scuba up and like go visit them? Or like, what do we do? <laughs> yeah, I'd believe it all. Um, I've got, all right, I've got a big one. I've got a short one. I'm going to give you the short one first. And then, and then I want to hear this thing about flow. But do you remember? I want to give an update. And I'm going to say with preference with this update, last time I gave an update on this guy, he took that update and he clipped our YouTube video and he turned it into an ad and I got super fucking pissed. So I just <laughs> want to tell you, don't turn this into an ad. You do not have permission. That's dumb. It looked like I endorsed this product. I don't. A few years ago, I think it was three years ago, this guy started DMing me telling me he has this idea for hostage tape. Do you remember I told you about this? Yeah, it's I'm basically well. tape that you put over your mouth because mouth mouth breathing at night makes you a bad sleeper, I guess is the premise. Yeah, it's just gross. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but there's some health benefits. And he just like got in right when the Huberman's and the Brian Johnson's of the world and all this stuff. So he he timed it perfectly. He told me he was launching this and I was like, oh, this is this is really dumb. Th this is the stupidest thing I've seen in a long time. And he kept DMing me, kept sending me updates. I think in year one, he did 2 million in revenue. Now he just told me he ended 2023 with 14 million in revenue. And then he's saying that this year in 24, he's like, I think I can get 40 million in revenue. He's like, we're buying all these ads on Joe Rogan. We're going to be sponsoring the UFC. He's saying all this crazy stuff. And I'm going to file this under the, I cannot believe this worked. I still can't believe it's worked. And he's totally proven me wrong so far. Has this guy been sending you updates? Uh, not updates. I've talked to him a couple of times about one specific deal he was going to. I just tried to help him out. By the way, May 25th, 2023, subject line. He said it was a bad business idea, dot, dot, dot. Emailed out to his whole list, I think. Hey, folks, Alex here. Telling you, telling people you run a mouth taping business isn't all sunshine and rainbows. Did anyone think that that was sunshine and rainbows? <laughs> you know what they say. Running a mouth taping yeah. business ain't all sunshine Everyone rainbows. always asks me, like, how awesome is this business? <laughs> just, I didn't so know says, anyone ever said that. I recently got called out on a very popular business podcast called My First Million. Maybe you listened to it. Anyways, I reached out to one of the hosts, Sam, to tell him my idea. He said it was a bad idea. All bold. That was over a year ago. Now, 1,400 reviews, hundreds of success stories later, I couldn't help but message him again. <laughs> well, he didn't go. <laughs> and so he says, um, I don't know, what, I don't know what, the, what the thing is. Oh, he goes, um, I thought it'd be really funny if the hostage tape army, if you're, if you're a customer of this and you're in the hostage tape army, I mean... None of these words should be going together, by the way. What's no, the hostage, <laughs> none of these words should be lumped in the same sentence. The hostage tape army. You know what I mean? <laughs> if that's on your bio, like you're out. But he, he said, show up in the comments and say, hey, Sam, hashtag shut your mouth. I like that part. That part's pretty good. Hostage tape, shut your mouth. I like I think that's yeah, yeah, good. Yeah, that one's good. He goes, I don't want to start a, wa a war, but these guys appreciate a good prank. We do. We really do. We do. Um, so I don't know if he did do that. I'm going to click this. Uh, this link. And by the way. He's getting the last laugh. If his tape is untaped, he is getting the last laugh. This guy, this guy's winning. He's making a lot of money. People actually want his product. I'm wrong here. He's right. I still think it's stupid, though. I'm looking at the comments, by the way. I don't see one hashtag shut your mouth, Sam. 
So I don't think hostage tape army showed up. <laughs> the cavalry did not appear for this one. <laughs> but I think it's funny that he's doing this. And I think it's great that he's he's winning. So uh, God bless him. I got so angry when I saw my face on these ads. Though I started getting these ads and I'm like, it said like, I lo-, and I was like, well, what the fuck? I was making fun of you. And you just totally jujitsued me. And now I'm promoting you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everyone, a quick break because I want to fill you in on a little experiment that I'm doing. I've got a new project. It's called MoneyWise. It's a personal finance podcast for high net worth people or young people who are on their way to becoming high net worth. When I made a little bit of money, I didn't even know how much money I should be spending each month. Should it be 10,000, 30,000, 50,000? And I didn't really have a lot of people to ask. So I created a podcast called MoneyWise because I wanted to figure out what are some of the things that people who have a lot of cash and who have a high net worth, what do they do with it? The first episode is with a friend of mine. He sold his company for $200 million when he was 31 years old. He gets super transparent about his monthly expenses, his portfolio, how it impacts his happiness, everything. And so I want you guys to check it out. It's called MoneyWise. That's one word. You can find it on my Twitter bio. I'm the Sam Parr. Or you can just type in MoneyWise on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube. All right, back to the pod. Hey, let's take a quick break to tell you about the HubSpot Podcast Network. If you like podcasts like this, you should check out some other cool podcasts. One is called Business Made Simple. It's hosted by Donald Miller and it's brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network. And what he does is he makes it easy to take the mystery out of growing your business. There's an episode that you should check out called What You Should Put in a Job Description to Get the Perfect Hire. And in this episode, Donald Miller looks at the whole hiring process and how important it is to emphasize both the, the positive attributes and the drawbacks to future candidates. And you'll learn why being self-aware as a leader will help you avoid hiring disasters. So check it out. Go listen to Business Made Simple wherever you get your podcasts. All right. You, you shared a, an L you took. I'll tell you about an L I take. It's, 20, it's 2020 and I'm getting dinner with a friend. And we're only like, I want to say 40 minutes into the dinner. And he's like, I got to go. And I'm like, was it me? Was it something I said? Am I chewing too much? What's going on? Why, why you got to leave? He's like, no, no, no. He's like, I hate to leave, but I got I to gotta go meet with this founder from Belarus. It was just and you I'm, two at the dinner? It was us two at the dinner. And he just bounces. And I'm like, Belarus? I don't even know where Belarus is. But I was like, all right, that's, uh, I, I don't know if this is something, you know, elaborate excuse or what, but he leaves. So I finish <laughs> up dinner, go home. I see an email from my friend. He says, sorry, I had a jet so early, but this company is really interesting. And he tells me about this company called Flow. And he's investing in this company called Flow. And he's like, if you want in, I can get you in. And I remember this because today or yesterday, I'm scrolling on Twitter and I see Flow is one of the biggest success stories in consumer startups today. $192 million in ARR with 60 million active users. And it's been the fastest growing health app uh, for like, you know, four years. And I'm like, $192 million in ARR? I was like, why does this app sound familiar? I go back and look at my email and I see that I could have invested in this thing years ago had I just replied to this email from my friend. What valuation? I don't know what it was back then because I didn't even reply to ask. But uh, whatever it was, I should have done it because you know, the, obviously the thing has been growing so fast that it is, uh, you know, it's clearly it's become a billion dollar company and it's, it's done really, really well. But this company is really interesting. Last pod, you talked about, I forgot what ammo or whatever it is, like some Eastern European like App builder factory? Yeah, they make a variety of apps, like one's muscle for men, and then another one was working out for women while the men the women are on their period. Well, I see your Eastern European women's period app and I raise huh. you because that's what <laughs> flow is. Started by these guys out in like Belarus, Lithuania, something like that. T- two twin brothers, by the way. So the twin brothers 
what uh they're raised by a single mother who's a librarian and they're like yo we gotta make money like they're 15 years old he's like i was going to school and then i would work a full-time job after school so i go to school for eight hours then i go work for eight hours and that's what i did every day as a teenager he's like and i just had this like deep like we have to figure something out he's like so i did two things he's like i taught myself how to code he's like and i was teaching myself using these like textbooks He's like, so then I started actually writing books to make some money. He's like, whatever I learned, I would then package up into a book and I would write it. He's like, I've written, you know, a bunch of books. And then I started, pub- I became a book publisher. I started publishing. It's like, I've published a thousand books now. Um, so I'm like, okay, random. He's like, the other thing that happened is 2008 and the iPhone app store comes out. And uh, he's like, I think this is going to be big. I think this is going to be like, you know, the internet was big. There was a bunch of winners. I think there's going to be some here. So he's like, forget the book publishing. Let's start making apps. And so they start a health app kind of fails, start a second app, kind of fails. And people ask them, they're like, you know, what'd you learn? You know, was Flow your first app or how, how'd you do it? He's like, no, no, I started two things before that. Similar space, but just didn't, didn't fully hit. He goes, but I believe the, that success is the sum of your attempts. He's like, and those first two attempts that I did for a couple of years, that is the success of Flow. And I just love that quote. Success is the sum of your attempts. I think that's an amazing quote. And so he goes, we start Flow and they're like, so you're a dude building a women's like period tracking app, the number one period tracking app in the world. Like, how does that happen? How does a dude in Belarus do that? I love, th- I love this quote. It's my not my job to build the product. It's my job to build the company of people that are able to build the product. Exactly. They're like, how how do you have the product intuition of building this? He and that's exactly what he said. He goes, I was like, I this is one thing I learned in those first two products was as a job as a CEO as a founder, my job is not to build the product. It's to build the company that will build these products. And that's what they did. And so they actually built two things. They create this Holdco and the Holdco owns like four apps that are all super successful. So they own Flow, which itself does about 200 million a year in revenue. And that's and a, what's Flow. Help. So it's basically, it started off with just simple like period tracking. So it's like a, a monthly kind of like tracker. Uh, but then off that, they, they go into other things. So they created what they call a woman's health super app. And this was the pitch that I saw at the time when my friend went and got dinner with them. And they were like, Look, we built the number one period tracking app, and that's great. Uh, and at the time, they had like 30 million users using this. And they said that in the US, 10% of adult women were using their tracker. So like, we built the best tracker. But a tracker is not going to be like the most monetizable thing. But they're like, well, why do people track? Well, often they track because of health reasons. They track because they're trying to get pregnant. They track because um, maybe they're entering menopause. Like, There's all these other things that maybe they need health coaching, maybe they need these other things. There's a bunch of maybes from there. And they turned out to be right. And so they were like, we're going to make more money than any of these other health apps. So they're bigger than Calm or these other like meditation apps that, that are like in the kind of health and wellness space. Uh, this is a bigger app than all of those. And it's run by these guys in Eastern Europe who you know have basically dominated the world in this one category. They're the number one in this category. And so they, but they also own a couple of other companies. They own another app called Zing and they know another app called Prisma, which is like a photo editor. And they own, I don't even, do, do you remember when Prisma went viral a little while back? It like was cool looking filters. Um, yeah. The hold co has raised a hundred million dollars series B. And that's called, uh, that's called Palta. Palta. Yeah. And are they in America? No, they're in Lithuania. Really? And they have like hundreds of employees. And this is like in the pitch deck was like, yeah, we we can hire like ten super talented European coders for the cost of one, you know, mediocre engineer in San Francisco. They didn't say it like that, but that was, I added the mediocre part. But that's that's the implication it is basically we have this like talent advantage. We're the we're the big fish in the small pond, but the small pond is 
highly talented with really good programmers and uh, were super, super cost efficient. And so they were able to, to be very, um, very efficient as they've, as they've grown. You could have invested in this? Yeah. So yeah, this that one, one... That one sucks. <laughs> so the, so the, I would say the first one was not really a, a miss in that like, even now, I don't think that would have been a great investment, but yeah. great, great business to own, not a great business to invest in. This one would have been a great business to invest in, but it just didn't hit any of my patterns. It's like you have Eastern European company versus a Silicon Valley company. You have it's in the you know period tracking. I don't know how big that space can be. Uh, you know, I, I don't, don't really. I I underestimated. And I'm sure many people underestimated how big that app can be. And in fact, that's why they said they're like, I love that these guys didn't bullshit. Like they didn't do the thing that all Silicon Valley startups do, where they make up their origin story, where they're like. Well, the reason I got into this was that my my aunt was having trouble, like you know, like Jack Dorsey with Square. He's like, um, you know, I was uh, I was I was trying to buy this uh, this vase that was being you know this glass. <laughs> this, this guy was blowing glass and making this vase for me, and I wanted to buy it, but he couldn't take a credit card. And I thought, wow, the small businesses of America are like you know underserved. I should really change this. In fact, actually, I think part of that story is true. The, the co-founder did do that as a as a hobby, but. I think most startups make up their origin story where they're like, I, you know, like native deodorant. He's like, my sister was pregnant. And I just did not want her to be having aluminum in her armpits. And so I created a pregnancy safe like, Yeah, right, thing. dude. You just, the shipping cost of deodorant was just a lot cheaper than mattresses. And you just, exactly like, like that's why you did it. Unit <laughs> economics is not as good of a story. Or like, I went yeah. to Etsy and I was hunting for the most, most highly sold product that didn't have competition that was under one pound of to ship and had 80% gross margins. It's like, that's not as good of a PR story. So these guys, they didn't do that. They were like, why'd you do this? He's like, well, we just wanted to find the most underserved market. He's like, we just knew that no talented builders were building in this space. And we thought, well, half the world's population has this problem. Uh, they're completely underserved. And we could build a, you know, a simple product that might have legs uh, to, to grow from there. And that's, that's what they did. This guy's amazing. We got to get him on the pod. So it's the, one of the founders, I guess it's, you said two brothers. His name is Yuri Gursky, I guess. Uh, he's from Belarus, but I think they kind of live in Poland, it looks, in and, and Cyprus, they're all over the place. But he he's really successful. So like you kind of acted like he was like a young kid just like blogging and packaging his blogs into books. No, no, these guys are gangsters. Yeah, like these guys are ballers. And he's had multiple companies that he sold. One he sold to Facebook, one to, uh, I actually don't know how to pronounce this. What's mail.ru? It's the Russian guy. Mil, um, Yuri Miller. That? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, he sold one to Google. Like th these guys are hardcore. These guys are awesome. Yeah, these guys are kicking ass. And so they, uh, and you know, he's he's basically like, they're like, what do you think contributed to the success of this? He's like, well, the biggest thing is we picked the right market. And I love that he said this because I think this is where he even said this. He's like, most people, he's like, you need three things. The right target market, the right timing, and then the right people to execute on it. And he's like, most people don't get the first two right, but that's your rising tide. If you can pick the right market, and the right timing. He's like, we picked basically this underserved women's health market. And we started in 2008, right? When the app store came out, that's when we started making apps. So we were early and we went to the underserved market that had demand. From there, all we had to do was just hire good people and it would, it would work out. Um, and I think that most people, when you talk to entrepreneurs or the way their brain works, if you had to make like a pie chart, it would be like, number one is like, you know, the, um, how cool is my idea? So it's like not market, but it's more product. They focus on the product. Then they focus on the people. And then last is like, they kind of think about what market they're in. And they try what they try to do, which I think is a bad strategy. One I, a mistake I made many times is like, build the best product 
in the in a whatever market, in a meh market. But you'd rather go into an amazing market and build a good enough product. That's like where yeah. a lot more success comes. And the best example of that, I believe it was uh, Coinbase. They were like, our website early on sucked. Like it went down all of the time. But we are, we picked a market that people were begging for it and that they were willing to put up with a really crappy product. And another, speaking of these apps, Michael uh, Acton Smith from Calm, he gave me this great like soundbite one time. We were just talking and he was like, I don't launch these other things. And I kind of had to push the rock up the hill in order to make it work. But I knew that I picked the right, I knew that I picked the right market being calm and meditation. He was like, it was as if I had just was surfing and I just happened to catch this massive tidal wave. And my job was not to push the rock up the hill. It was just to hang on to the surfboard and hope I don't crash because it's pushing me and it's doing all of the work. And that's the difference between something really working and something not working. Because he's like, I had all these amazing things. And he's like, I'm a really good entrepreneur. but I just, And I kind of brute forced it into reality. But it was really, really, really hard. And I learned that when you pick the right market and you catch the right tidal wave, that makes life a thousand times easier. And the hard part is what people get wrong is, okay, I want to pick the right market. So they just go to the biggest, flashiest market, right? So right now, AI, I got to go into AI. And they go into a super competitive market. That's, uh, it is a hot market. There are going to be huge winners there. But the trick, the like, you know, Peter Thiel one time went to a, a, a meetup and they were like, what's the key to investing? He, do, he drew two circles, like a Venn diagram. And he's like, um, seems like a bad idea. And then the other he wrote, is a good idea. He's like, the problem is most people just do things that sound like a good idea. The problem is everybody else is also doing things that sound like good ideas. So you're just, it's tons of competition and uh, you might be too late by the time it seems like a good idea. He's like, so the secret is, can you find something that today seems like a bad idea, but is actually a good idea? Coinbase started back when Bitcoin was like not considered like an obvious, crypto wasn't the wave back then. It wasn't the trendy thing to do. It was actually an underserved market. But it wasn't, and it was turned out to be a great market, but it wasn't considered already a great market where all the smartest people in the world went and were fighting this like war over there. That's what you know, AI is today. It's, everybody agrees it's an incredible market, so they're all going to go fight this battle over there. So you really have to, if you're going to have something, you have to niche down and find some section of that that's underserved or go somewhere that's today not seen as that. Not like forget AI, find the thing three years from now that's AI. This seems like the hostage tape guy giving his TED talk. You know, he's going to be standing there like this talking about the Venn diagram of bad ideas <laughs> and good ideas. And that his idea is just going to be in the circle of the bad ideas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, you got to be in the middle. <laughs> I'm sorry, hostage tape guy. You're right. I'm wrong. You're the one winning. Um, this is amazing. These guys are amazing. Uh, I... I would love to get this guy on the podcast. Is he speaking? He's, I imagine he's an English speaker, right? Or partially? Dude, he probably speaks better English than us. <laughs> yeah. Is there anything right. this guy can't do? Like, would you, <laughs> yeah. if, if, if one guy had to save my life and they were like, how about this guy? I'd be like, yeah, sure. I'm sure he could do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And if you Google this guy, so his name's Yuri Gursky. Sorry, I'm, I'm probably pronouncing it a little bit incorrect. He's got the perfect balance. He's got that next door, that next door hot look. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it looks like he could, you could chill with him a little bit, but he also looks like he could really mess you up physically. Like he's, he does a good job of, of having that, that next Sounds door like look. Sounds like you want him to mess you up physically a little <laughs> <Yeah>. bit. <laughs> Dude, I get so many messages or comments of people making fun of me and they, they either think I'm gay or they're just like, dude, why are you commenting about people's calves all the time? And I'm totally just like <laughs> giving into this. Uh, by the way, do you have something to promote today or what? Now it's time. 
right now we're talking about some, some of the best execution we've seen, some of the best, most talented people we've seen. And are they sitting in America? No, they're overseas. Actually, everyone has been overseas. Everybody we've talked about has been overseas. And that's because the world has changed. There's talent everywhere. And for you as an entrepreneur, one of the things you should be doing is leveraging that global talent. The way to do that is to go to Shepherd and just tell them what you need. All you do is you go there and you're like, hey, I think we need a developer. I need an engineer or I need a designer or I need somebody who could do all of our influencer marketing. Whatever you don't have time for, that's the bottleneck of your business. Go to Shepherd. Tell them what you need and they will find you somebody. A couple of weeks, you will have talent in place, usually for five times less than you hire for in America. This is a this is a not so secret secret anymore. You know, for my e-commerce company, I think 40% of our staff is international. Uh, we get tremendous cost savings and we get some of the best talent by just by looking overseas, looking where other people aren't looking. If you're hiring in the same place that everybody else is hiring, you know, you're, you're not gonna make it. They're doing developers now? They do developers, yeah, because they wow. do LATAM. So one of the things I've been using is all their like LATAM talents in Latin America, where you get a lot more of two things. One is a shit ton of MBAs. So like I needed an operations person. I was like, ah. my COO is just like, I feel like every COO is overworked. Like, I don't know if you've ever had this, but like the entrepreneur always just gives the COO everything they don't want to do, which is like 85% of all the work in any business. Like just gets dumped on the COO. It's like, yeah, that's operational. You should figure that out. And so I was like, dude, my COO needs a COO. And so we started hiring operations people from South America because they have basically people who are, you know, MBAs. So they're like trained that way. They've been doing consulting for years and they make like, you know, let's call it 3K a month. And so compare that to in America, you'd probably be paying 12 to 15K a month for that same talent. So, you know, four to five times more. And so we found some awesome, uh, both developers and operations people in LATAM. That's what I go for there. And then like, kind of like customer service, design, um, Anything that's like data marketing, marketing assistant, that's all Philippines for me. Wow. All right. Well, and what's the URL? Supportshepherd.com. Go to supportshepherd.com. And then when you're there, tell them I sent you. They'll take care of you. Do we want to round up, round out with the, the three random things you have here? <laughs> yeah, I got some random things. I don't know uh, which one we want to do. Did you watch the Super Bowl at all? Yeah, I, I'm not like a sports guy, I, I, but I watched it just because it was a big deal. And uh, you have Jason. How do you say the guy's last name? Kelsey? Kelsey. Jason Kelsey over Travis Kelsey. That yeah. Travis guy seemed pretty likable in his post game like interview. Like a, he seemed like a big goofy idiot in the best possible way. Yeah, he kind of is. Although it was really bad for him. I don't know if you saw it during the game. He like he looked like basically shit. got super angry at his coach and like almost like knocked him over and was and yelling it, at him. The reason it wasn't cool was because his coach is old enough that you're like, oh, that ain't, that's like you're you kind of pushed an old guy. You well, know he, what like, I mean? he like kind of lost his balance. He like almost pushed him down, and it was yeah, like, yeah, yeah. That's oh, what I'm saying. Everyone felt bad for like their own dad in that moment. <laughs> that's what I mean. Where I was like, oh, he's a little bit too old, but they like hugged it out and it seemed like they were fine afterwards. Yeah, I think they're fine, but definitely all of the Taylor Swift fans were like, red flag, we need an emergency meeting. All the Swifties had like an emergency meeting. We're like, I'm worried about Taylor. <laughs> I don't like what I saw out there. But did you see the, uh, I did see the brother. So he has another brother in the, in the NFL, Jason. His brother dressed up like Zach Galifianakis from uh, Hangover, where he wore, from Alan from The Hangover. He looked hilarious. Yeah, I basically want to do a TED Talk, actually. I want to prepare slides and be like, here's why you should be Jason Kelsey and not Travis Kelsey. Because on paper, you want to be Travis Kelsey. He's the receiver. You know, Jason Kelsey's a center, like the most unglamorous position that there is. Uh, so it's like, you know, you have Travis Kelsey. He's a tight end. He's always catching passes. He's like, he's good, better looking. Like he's like, you know, more handsome. He's, he's like, like six, you know, more five. stylish. He can dance. The other guy's kind of awkward. 
Um, you know, Travis Kelsey's dating Taylor Swift. Oh, that's amazing, right? But Jason Kelsey's wife is a badass. She's like great looking, former athlete, super fun. She like joins his podcast all the time. And she's like got a great personality and just seems like super down to earth. Like she shows up to the to the box because they know you're gonna show Taylor Swift like a hundred times during the game, right? And it's Taylor Swift and she's there with like that actress, what's her name? Blake, whatever. Blake Lively. Yeah. Blake Lively, yeah. And it's like, and they know every time something happens, they're like doing YouTube thumbnail face. Like they're so exaggerated with their emotions because they know we're performing here. Whereas like Jason Kelsey's wife is there in the background. She's wearing like her college hoodie, like her, her like alma mater hoodie, no makeup. And she's just super comfortable and she's having a great time. She's like eating food and drinking. She's just like chilling out, not trying to get attention all the time. So it's like, and then you know, Jason shows you've up. You thought about this a lot, huh? I did because last week they played, uh, or two weeks ago they played in Buffalo, and the game. I don't know if you saw it. It was like crazy snow day, and Jason Kelsey was uh, watching the game. He was watching his brother play, and he went and he was like, "Dude, I don't want to sit in this like luxury suite." He's like, "I want to be out there with a, this. Is awesome. This is like what you grow up loving about football. It's like a snow game. This is crazy playoff football." So he takes his shirt off. He jumps into the crowd. He jumps out of the luxury box into the crowd with the Buffalo fans and starts chugging beers and just like having a great time with him. He's like, that's the experience I want. And his wife was like, don't do this. Babe. Like Taylor Swift's here. They're gonna <laughs> like, people are going to see you doing this. And he's like, I don't care what people see. I want to like, this is what I grew up like, you know, admiring. I want to have a great time. So you could tell this guy's having a great time. He's not in it for the show. He's got the real relationship goals you should have. Not the Taylor Swift, like high school, you know, the the cheerleaders dating the quarterback type of shit. Um, and then he shows up to the Super Bowl dressed like Alan from The Hangover. I love Jason Kelsey. I am all about Jason Kelsey. Jason Kelsey over Travis Kelsey. That's my case. <laughs> I'm looking at the, I just Googled uh, Jason Kelsey's shirtless and you do see him in the box wearing gray sweatpants, taking a shirt off. And he's like in the drunk guy mode where he's yelling. What's hilarious about this guy is you see his face and you see some of the things where he sounds just like a goofy dummy, like he's just joking, like your fat friend. But they show him shirtless, and you see a can of beer in his hand, and it is so small. This yeah. guy is a giant. <laughs> this guy will kill like you and eat energy. you. Yes, <laughs> this this Bud Light can looks like a five hour energy in his in his hand. This guy is a freak. How like they're they're both I guess huge. This guy does not look huge when you just see him from the neck up on the podcast. This guy, and you know, he's got gray hair, right? So he like doesn't yeah. ask, like look like an athlete. You see him shirtless. This guy looks like a freak. That's the yes, amazing. Yes, exactly. And I, I just think there's some life lesson. There's some wisdom in this whole thing. In fact, a, another version of this, by the way, uh, did you see like when the, I don't know what it was, the Grammys were on and the Tracy Chapman uh, song was going super viral. Do you see this? They did Fast Car. Her and Luke yeah, she Combs. looked awesome too. So do you know the back, do you know her story or do you know the backstory of like Tracy Chapman and that song? Yeah, she basically was uh, just a, a normal person. She was a, a, just your, an average lady. And she, I think, got discovered by like a friend of a friend. So uh, the friend being the writer of Billions, the, his Brian dad. Compliment. Yeah, his dad was uh, worked in the music industry. And Brian went up to Tracy and was like, look, this well, is Well, they went lame. to the same college. So they were in college. Yeah. She's just playing like on campus. And he's like, you're amazing. He calls his dad. He's like, dad. Well, he goes... What he said was, he goes, look, this is like lame usually. And I never like ask my daddy for a favor. That's kind of douchey. Right. But you've got it. Would you care if I make an introduction to my father? I actually think he might help you. And I'm not just like blowing smoke up your ass. Like you actually, this actually could do something. And I think it, it became something. It, it did. And so she, she kind of gets a contract, but she's, th she's like 
the anti-artist, right? She's the anti-pop artist. So she's not uh, like, she's just going to make the music she wants. And she's not going to like, just do what the record label wants. They were like, oh, tell us about your relationship. She's like, no, nah, I prefer to get that private. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. But just tell us. She's like on Access Hollywood. They're like, but there's got this song has to be about someone. She's like, well, it is about someone, but like, you know, I'd prefer not to share it. And I don't want them to feel bad about it or anything like that. So I, I'm not going to share. And they're like, well, it's hard to promote this album if you're not going to say anything. And she's like, I just want my music to speak for itself. Like she was just like, to me, I watched a couple, I went down a rabbit hole after this and I watched her and I was like, she is the beacon of authenticity. Her and Jason Kelsey are like, you actually want to be them. You don't want to be <laughs> the pop answer. And there's something to the to just being totally authentic and like not performing for everybody. Like she makes all the like little TikTok bitches look like little TikTok bitches of just like, <laughs> like, like, like I don't know if you've seen the subreddit, I am the main character. Yeah, it's basically I hate it. full of people who are like think they're the main character of life. They're like, they put their camera somewhere on a flight. They stand up and they're doing a TikTok dance, and everyone else is like, "Dude, can I, can I get to my seat? Like, I, what are you doing? Like, what is this?" And it's just like these annoying people who are trying to do stuff for attention. And so, do you know? Do you know how old Tracy Chapman is? She's like in her fifties, probably. I don't know what she's is she? sixty. She looks she's sixty. She looks awesome. And she's she like, yeah, she just goes gray. She's got no makeup on or whatever. She's like, uh, they're like, you know, how do you, um, how do you promote your music? She's like, I don't know. I don't have social media. They're like, you don't have social media? She's like, no, I mean, I just hang out with my friends. What, what, what do I, why would I need that? <laughs> and they're like, but because, um, because I'm, um, and you sound like an idiot trying to explain why you need social media. She's like, I don't know. I just make my music and I, I like go outside and I play with my, I hang out with my friends. Like, why, where would I need that? And then they're like, okay, but like, what do you do on your phone? And she's like, I don't have a smartphone either. Well, ha- <laughs> have, like, haven't dude. you heard the uh, Haven't you heard the story of like the Mexican fisherman and the banker? It's like that where it's uh, yeah, uh, you know, a, a banker, a rich banker's on vacation and he's in Mexico and he's loving it, and he meets this fisherman who brings him fresh fish every day. And uh, the fr- the fisherman basically brings the fish in the morning to the banker, and then he spends the rest of the day chilling. The banker goes to the fisherman. He goes, "Hey, why don't you just go and hi- like your fish is the best? Go hire more fishermen, and like I'll help you. Let's build this into a thing, and we're gonna make so much money." And the Mexican guy's like, all right, but then what? He goes, well, then we're going to like get grow revenue to like 15 million and then we're going to sell it. And the guy's like, then what? And he goes, well, then you're going to be rich and uh, you can do anything you want. And the Mexican guy's like, what would I do? The banker goes, well, then you can just fish all day and just hang out. And the Mexican guy's like, I do that now. And that's like the whole parable of like, you know, I actually don't know what it's trying to say other than like your great life a lot simpler <laughs> you were so and all this until the end <laughs> and all this nonsense, whatever. <laughs> like, actually, I'm not sure what it's all about. Why does he buy another boat? Yeah, he's missing out. What the be the banker. <laughs> just go on vacation. <laughs> you know, just be a fisherman your life. Um, yeah, I think you you missed the ending of that one. I think it's about. Um, Knowing what you want and also knowing yeah, you know, how, to, how to have it and have enough, uh, that there is such a thing as enough. Um, Tracy Chapman <laughs> has enough. Daisy Kelsey has enough. By the way, a couple other cool things about her story that I really like. One, um, you know, be prepared to, uh, you know, take the chance when, when luck presents itself. So do you know how she got her big break? Like what kind of catapulted her to become a star? Because obviously no. she's not doing the normal stuff you do to promote yourself as a pop star. She doesn't look like a pop star, doesn't talk like a pop star, doesn't have social media, doesn't have a smartphone. So how does she initially get her break? Have you heard this story? No. So there was like a giant um, televised music thing that was uh, for Nelson Mandela's 70th birthday. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's on the like the prelims, the undercard of the undercards before the TV start stuff even turns on. So she goes and she plays two songs or three songs and early in the day. And then later in the day, it was supposed to be the headline acts. And Stevie Wonder was supposed to go on and perform. 
But Stevie Wonder um, got lost. No, I'm just <laughs> Stevie Wonder, they messed up his backing tracks. And so he's like, I can't go on. Like my backing, this is not going to work. Like I need the audio to work. And so they were like, shit. Uh, the audio is messed up. We need somebody to go fill like, you know, six minutes of time here before the next act and give us some time to fix this. Who can go on and who can play with no backing tracks and just go on acoustic and kill it? And they were like, Tracy, uh, will you go on there and play a song? And she's like, okay. And they're like, but it's just you, you and your guitar, nothing else. She's like, okay. And so she goes out there and she plays fast car. And you can see this video on YouTube. Her voice is like, quaking at the beginning and she has no like auto-tune no no vocals no backtrack so it's like you can hear every imperfection in it but then she gets you know she kind of comes into her own she sings the song and people love it people go nuts for it and that's how she kind of got her break into startup was by being prepared and being willing to go out there and take a risk and having obviously the talent to back it up her first album sells 10 million copies which is insane and then they're like amazing huge hit um, Fast Car still is considered like one of the like top hundred songs ever written or whatever. They're like, what are you gonna do for your second album? Hey, the, the record executives come to her with like some ideas. They have like a pitch meeting. They're like, they're like, you know, presentation. They like pull the curtain off the off the easel and they're like, Tracy Chapman singing these pop songs. And she's like, nah, I don't think I want to do that. And they're like, but Tracy, you did 10 million your first time. You could do 20 this time, right? Like the, the banker to the fisherman. <laughs> yeah. And she's like, no, I don't really want to do that. They're like, well, what do you want to do? She's like, I'm not sure yet. I'm going to experiment and figure it out. They're like, experiment? What do you mean? You have to go go to the studio and record. She's like, no, no, I'm not going to record. What I'm going to do is she hired. So normally what a musician does is they go, they write their songs. They go to a studio. They hire like a studio musician to come and play the like the piano or the trumpet or whatever with them there. They have no chemistry with them. They record. Then later they go on tour and they perform. She did it in reverse. She's like, what if I did the, the, the instead? What if I hired a, a set of musicians that I really like? I took the risk of hiring them. And what if we tour for a year, writing songs as we go? And then through the tour, we're going to see what music is resonating with people. And at the end, we'll just record the stuff that they like. Almost like a comedian going to small clubs and working out their material. She did that for music. And so, and that's how she did her second album. And she was like, I'm so proud of how it turned out. Blah blah blah. I have no idea what the sales were, but like you know, I like that that approach. And again, I'm 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 on an authenticity kick right now. And, and to me, I love that. Last year, I said, Sean, I'm going to be having a baby. Do you um? Could you tell me what are some of the highlights of having a kid? And this was in private. And you're like, it's just great, you know. My my son and my daughter, like, I just I get so much joy out of seeing that they admire all these little things. Like they just love staring at the fan, and it made me happier that like, oh, the fan actually is cool. And I like. I, I like am interested in now because they're interested in and, and I love seeing them grow. That's how I feel right now. A few <laughs> years ago, a few years ago, I asked you about really simple things that I just thought you would understand, like Dolly Parton. <laughs> and you're like, Dolly who? Now you're teaching me about Tracy Chapman. Next, for all I know, you're going to tell me who the Beatles are and you're going to do this <laughs> wonderful breakdown. And I just think that you have grown so much that you are now <laughs> like Tracy Chapman. Like, I didn't know everything about her, but I can tell you a lot of her songs. And, and now you've just discovered her. And I love that you are bringing a new perspective of this. And you're actually teaching me about an artist that I love. Next, we're, we're going to talk about, you know, Paul McCartney, Eric Clapton. Let's talk about all this stuff. Tell me who Mick Jagger is. I, like, like, Sam, I used to stop believing, but now I realize I should don't stop believing. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great song. Uh, like I am getting so much joy and I'm learning now that you are new. Because you, you probably didn't know much about her before this, did you? No, I, I mean, I just heard the song. In fact, I didn't even understand what the song <laughs> You never meant. heard that song? 
No, I heard, I love the song, but okay. I, I don't know, are you? So there's two types of people. I think there's people who listen to songs for the words, and there's people who listen to songs for the meaning. Which one are you? Like I can hear a song a thousand times and not tell you. I have no clue what the song is about. I don't. I've never even actually. I've never even thought about the lyrics. I might know some of the words, but like. I couldn't tell you what the song is about, even though yeah, I've heard it I mean, a thousand I care, times. I, I care about the meeting, like like particularly like rock and roll by like a lot of black people in the seventies and eighties. It's like civil rights stuff. I enjoy like learning the story about it. Yeah, I don't know actually know what Bla- uh, Fast Car is about though. You should go listen to it. Uh, go listen and like actually listen to the lyrics. It's a it's an amazing story that she's telling in, in that thing. So I kind of got into it for that reason. I also liked one other thing. I watched the interview with her, and I think both of us appreciate poise as a as a trait. I think poise yeah. is something nobody ever talks about, but we all notice it when we see it. Yeah. And those are things that I like to pick up on. What are things that nobody says they are into or practice? Nobody ever says I'm practicing poise. But when we see it, we all think it's badass and we appreciate it. Well, Tom Brady, he's so poised. Or that leader, he just has this way he carries himself well. It's poise um, under pressure, right? Poise. And so she she did this Charlie Rose interview. And Charlie Rose, again, she's kind of the worst interview ever because she doesn't say anything like, so she doesn't play the game. Yeah, she doesn't she's play like the, game. the game. And so he's like, you know, tell me, you know, when you were a young kid, like when did you first start playing music? She's like, oh, you know, I got a guitar and I started playing music when I was like five. He's like, by eight, I was writing songs. And he's like, and he's like, and that's when you knew you wanted to be a musician. She goes, I think that's when I knew I, I just, she didn't say I think. She goes, that's when I knew I was a musician. Oh, uh, yeah. That's and totally was like, it? <laughs> just realized he kind of this, she wasn't trying to say it to own him, but what a what a statement too and i think there's uh what a poised way of saying something that she's she just saying it as it is uh that's how it was i realized i was a musician and that's me that's a part of me that's how i am like that it wasn't i'm gonna try to do anything trying is like the least poised thing you could do i am a musician uh, i think she's just she's a badass i really respect and I, her and i think she lives in ohio which is you know sort of like uh dave Chappelle. you know these guys that are like they could have it all. They could be in the middle and the thick of it all, but they're in fucking Ohio. Just Chappelle's another thing. one on the authenticity Mount Rushmore, right? Like walked away from fifty million dollars because you know they were trying to control the the show, and, uh, and he's like, and then they made me, they called me crazy and said I was doing crack in Africa. He's like, no, I'm I'm not doing crack in Africa. What the fuck are you talking about? He's like, he's nah, like, whatever. I'm in Ohio. I'm not, not going to fight way- my image. I'm just gonna. Go live my life and be happy. I didn't know that. That I I actually up until recently thought he was in Africa. Yeah, he was like because that was the narrative. I, it was Dave Dave Chappelle got a, like basically went crazy. He's doing crack and then he went to Africa. He lost his mind. He's and he came out like years later was like no like they were offering me a bullshit contract. I said no, and then I just went home. And like, just did other things with my life. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I didn't. He's like, and then they started saying this crazy shit. But whatever, okay, whatever. <laughs> yeah, he was like, I was, I was in Ohio. That's where my my father's from. There, I was just hanging out with family. <laughs> right. It's like um, the, you know the 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 poise thing. Like when Mandela got locked up for whatever. Like he was like locked up for thirty years or something like that. And then he came out and like you know whatever solved the apartheid i don't know i don't know i don't know what history is. <laughs> he did something good for like you know black and he white went to, people i think he uh, went to mexico and he fished yeah <laughs> he was fishing who, with a bunch of mexicans who knows what he did. <laughs> but the thing that he said was badass he was like uh, they were like you know aren't you angry or resentful at the people that put you in the, in jail for 20 30 years or whatever and he was like no i was preparing he said i was preparing for this and i was like that's well, awesome man, that's a cool way of saying it um sean Coming through big time. This is the Sean Purry episode. That was a good good one from start. Am to I cultured? 
now? I think yeah, I think so. <laughs> I think the second you give props to Tracy Chapman and and, and Nelson Medella, I think that you are officially you've crossed the chasm, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> you know when you leave milk out for a while, it becomes yogurt culture. That's what happened to me. I just sat out yeah. for a while and it happened. <laughs> <laughs> it only took you a, a couple dozen, a few dozen years, but you've officially you've crossed the threshold. Congratulations. Uh, good job. Good pod. If you're a fan of this, you got to subscribe. If you want more Tracy Chapman stuff, but also the occasional joke about Mexican fishermen that we totally skipped over and don't understand the meaning of the story, you got to subscribe. Uh, that's the pod. Thanks. I feel like I can rule the world. I know I could be what I want to. Uh, I put my all in it like no days off. On the road, let's travel. Never looking back. Like-